Welcome to the Bruins Benders Podcast. It is episode five, and it is presented by Anchor and sponsored by Lobs Brewing. And Lobs Brewing is a, a brewery and tasting room in downtown Woonsocket, Rhode Island, specializing in small batch ales and lagers. It's open seven days a week. And you can use the coupon code SPORTS to get 10% off your online order. You go to www.lopsbrewing.com to order. And also follow them on social media at Lops Brewing for new beers and events. I am Maddie. And my co-host has a lo- a love-hate relationship with the Boston Bruins, Smitty. Thank you. No, <laughs> no, no laughing this week. That game uh, against Calgary was yeah. pathetic. So uh, we're kind of entering the uh, the podcast here on a on a somber note. I feel like someone somber. died. I feel like someone died. <laughs> I think part of my soul died. <laughs> yeah, on, having uh, to sit through that fucking game. One of the worst games I can remember in a while, especially like Evan Maranovsky, I think, tweeted out, one of the worst games I've had at the Garden in a long time. And it was totally true. But let's start out on a good note. That's... The game the day before that, <laughs> Saturday, at Philadelphia. And the Bruins avenge an earlier loss in the season at Philly with a 5-2 win in a game that the Bruins went after a long layoff, another layoff, and they avoided some rustiness for the most part. They got good effort from all lines. Craig Smith playing better, was able to score a goal on that one, and they'll really need him going forward. But it was a good all-around team effort after that long stretch of time off. I agree. I thought it was a good game overall, especially after the long time off. They got some secondary scoring. They got multi-point games from Smith and DeBrusque. You know, the giving up the goals soon after they score is still a little bit of an issue. So I don't, I don't love that. But going for, you know, that was a pretty good game. Uh, I can't say going forward because going forward onto Sunday, uh, and then Sunday, you know, they lose four nothing to Calgary, an absolute travesty. The top line was terrible. I can't remember Marchand and Bergeron like fighting the puck as much as they did in that game. They were brutal in that game. No way to really sugarcoat it. Bad from beginning to end. Sloppy. The one thing that I that I wonder about though is after you know you have a layoff of a week and then you play you know you have good energy in the first game but the second game of a back-to-back you know after you haven't played in that long I have to think you're probably dragging a little bit I'm not making an excuse but I don't think the schedule's been particularly kind to them for this type of that type of a setting you know they get so much time off they play two games in a row you know maybe they're dragging a little bit they're not as sharp I think that's a good point, and I think that that's possible. You go five games, five days rather, without a game. Then you play a game on the road. Then you come back home after a, like you say, give a lot of energy, really play really well, and you come back home. You fly home and you play Calgary, a team you don't play very often, not a conference team, and and that sort of thing. Calgary team that plays good defensively, has a good roster good defense and you, know, you just lay an egg and that could be part of it could be a little bit of a hangover from having all those days off but I'll tell you right now that was bad in every sense of the word and like you said Marchand and Bergeron and it seemed as though maybe the ice wasn't great uh, because guys were like leaving the puck behind yeah and you know, on both teams and the, the puck was seemed to be bouncing here and there and of course the garden has always had a history of not being great ice so maybe that was part of it but 
you're right. The, the, the top line was bad. Marshan really couldn't keep control of the puck all that often, which is not like him. He's an excellent stick handler. And then they got into some one-on-one game, and, and Bruce Cassidy even said in the press conference that the top line was bad and they were stubborn. And I think by that, he just means that they start playing a little bit individualistic hockey, try to do the same thing over and over again, wasn't working. Calgary, a good defensive team. You know, they really rely on playing good D, playing good in front of the goaltender. And then they use their, you know, the top line, Goudreau scored. Noah Hannafin scored, a guy who I always thought would look over the Bruins on on Charlie McAvoy's left side. I, I kind of wanted them to explore that a year or two ago. So, I was with you. you. Know, that's, you know, all in all, it was bad. I, th- you know, I thought, honestly, I thought the best forward was, was Jake DeBrusque. I thought DeBrusque was okay. All of the team was bad from beginning to end, all four lines. It just wasn't a very good night. And then Jeremy Swayman gave up a goal, sort of leaked in. The worst part of the game was that power play, the, the shorthanded goal, where they came down, <laughs> the Flames came down almost a 2-on-0. Swayman makes two saves. And then the puck is just laying there, and they and Mangiapani there puts it in on the third try. It was just bad all around. Yeah, I mean, that was dreadful. Uh, that was sort of the whole epitome of how bad it was. Yeah, I mean, that was a pass, that was a pass from Burke. Bergeron, like you don't usually see that where Bergeron no. makes like kind of a blind pass to no one. And, mm. you know, they give up a 2-1-0 the other way. I mean, just terrible. Two or three guys were back, but they didn't react to the puck. The Flames get the puck back on a third rebound and score. Now, the Flames became the first team since offensive forward passes were allowed in 1929 <laughs> to record seven. Can you imagine the game without being allowed offensive forward passes? Oh, my God. Snooze fest. How do you even play like that? <laughs> I don't know. How do you not allow offensive forward passes? So you have to skate with it and then drop it to someone else. Oh, so you skate bad. forward with the puck and then you drop pass it. Was it all drop passes? <laughs> You imagine. But they was co- record the seventh shutout within the first 19 games of the season. Uh, and the beneficiary was Daniel Vlazar. Yes, he was. Who, and, and now I'm seeing all over Twitter that, you know, Sweeney made a mistake, should have kept Vlazar. Here's the thing. When Vlazar was traded, I didn't see any Bruins fans really clamoring or screaming and yelling that Sweeney made a bad choice. I, I didn't see it. And going all the way back to the bubble when Vladar had that, you know, wet fish on the ice oh, yeah. sequence against Tampa Bay. I mean, Vladar was the guy to go if you were going with Allmark. And now people are saying, oh, he made a mistake. Sweeney made a mistake. We took the wrong guy. Like, oh, come on. It's just revisionist history. Those same people, do they, they do realize that Jeremy Swayman going into that game was undefeated at home, right? So, Hadn't lost right. the game at home in his career. <laughs> he was eight and zero at home, or nine and zero at home, or something. So yeah. let's let's take it easy with the you know Darth Vader fucking bullshit. No. All right, yeah, settle down a little bit there, peeps. We'll see how this well, plays out. I don't believe Vladar had many tough saves to make. I mean, there wasn't a ton of traffic in in front of him. Lazar had a chance on a rebound where he whiffed. Hall had a chance on a rebound where he he whiffed on a puck. And then Pasternak kept the crossbar on the power play. But for the most part, you know, he didn't make these spectacular saves. I mean, again, the Flames were playing great defense in front of him. And he's a beneficiary of that. I'd like to see Vladar play over at least half a season before I make any determinations that it was a mistake. But, you know, he's he's playing well. The team's playing well. Calgary plays a very tough brand of hockey. They play, they are tough to play against. And that's what the Bruins have wanted to be. They certainly weren't going to go into the season with two rookie goaltenders. Let's just cut that out right there. 
everybody's saying, you know, the people that were clamoring for, oh, Vladar and Swayman, and then you'll spend, you know, the five million that we spent on Allmark on a, you know, left shot number one pairing D. You can't get a left shot number one pairing D for $5 million, number one. And number Number two, there weren't any of those guys available. There weren't left shot number one defensemen available, unless you want to count Dougie Hamilton, and he wasn't coming here because he left here on purpose. So there's not a guy out there that you could have had. Let's just nix that. Absolutely. Time for seven chirps where we talk about the seven questions about the Bruins for this week. And number one is, did the Bruins pick the right goalie and swim over Vladar? I would say that they have. Still, even after that game, I think that Jeremy Swayman has the most potential. It was the better goalie up until, literally up until Sunday. (laughs) And uh, I think that he's the guy going forward for the future. He still needs some work uh, and still needs some overall playing time and, and experience at the NHL level. But he's the better prospect still. I 100% agree. Swayman, Swayman was the guy. It wasn't ever Vladar. I mean, like you said, from the flopping fish in the lightning game, Swayman has been much more kind of poised and ready, it seems, to take the reins. So I feel like he was always the one that you should choose. Yes, and I, and I agree. And, and look, Daniel Vladar has, has really played well and has obviously put that whole fiasco in the playoffs and the bubble behind him. And it's, it was with the right team. And I well, that's, yeah. That I mean, that's the thing. He's benefiting from playing in front of a team that's gotten seven shutouts in the first 19 games. I mean, that was his first one. So it wasn't like he's in there and right. he's got five shutouts. That was the first one. So, right. I mean, let's not pretend that he's, so, you know, Ken Dryden. Okay. So another guy had six. Correct. If my math is correct. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's, let's pump the brakes on that, Bruins fans. Number two, is it time to give Jakob Borrell a shot with Charlie McAvoy in the top pair? Interesting question. I'm leaning towards not yet. I think that Zaborl still needs, give him, still give him you know, another eight or ten games or whatever, keep his feet under him, keep the pressure off of him. I think it's way too early right now. And I might explore it in another two or three weeks if he's still going well, but I wouldn't do it right now. I'm of the opinion that, you know, maybe you give him a shot. You know, it doesn't have to be for a full game or it could be for a period or even a shift here and there and see, see kind of how it develops. I mean, they've been kind of mixing and matching a little bit as, as it is. You know, it, it's something you could give a shot and see, you know, if you kind of hit lightning in a bottle, something pops for either one of them. Grizz usually is that guy, but he hasn't been great so far this year. I feel like not really providing much offense and has been a little bit turnover prone. He has been, and I'm with it. I mean, they need a left shot D with McAvoy, preferably a left shot D that's a legitimate one that can play with him for the next three or four years. But right now, from what they have and what the resources they have, I would just be a little concerned with Saboro. He has a stat I, I didn't realize. I looked it up today. Jakob Saboro played 42 games last year, had nine assists, and played about 17 minutes of ice time. And right now, he's played about 17 minutes of ice time uh, and has, uh, you know, and has played better overall. But it's not much different than what he played last year from what I saw stat-wise, which I thought was interesting. And I didn't realize he played 42 games half a season. But I would probably give a couple weeks. I see what you're saying. You could throw him in there if he's really playing well, and you can just mix it up and put him with McAvoy for a period here and there. I mean, I get that. But to to slot him in there needs a little bit more time. I'm I'm with you. I I don't think you just automatically say that's your number one pair and that we're just going to roll with that for the next, you know. 70 games. I don't think you you do that, right, but maybe right. you choose your spots. Maybe it's matchup based to give him a shot up there. Now, now, chart number three is Bruce Cassidy's message still getting across to the team. 
I was kicking this around earlier today in my head and I thought, you know, I really like Bruce Cassidy. I like the type of coach he is. He sort of doesn't pull any punches in the press conference. He does get on the team. You can see him on the bench, get on the team. He's very honest with them. I think they appreciate that for the most part. Some of the things I don't think he's done particularly well, developing younger players. He has a struggle with a lot of younger players and they don't seem to get much of a chance. They get pulled, plug pulled on them a little bit too quickly sometimes with him. He's more of a, he relies on the perfection line heavily, which I would too. I mean, let's, you know, that's where your bread is buttered. But as far as young players, young players have come and gone and there's not a ton who have really developed into really good core guys on the team. That would be one thing. Some of it is not his fault because the roster is what it is and he has to manipulate it. But you have to question when these types of things happen, if there's any part of it. Look, hockey coaches, for the most part, you know, don't have a lot of longevity with the same team. And he's been around for a while now. And maybe it's a time where you start to think about it, I guess, if the message just isn't coming across. Yeah, I mean, I do think that hockey coaches do have a certain shelf life where the message gets stale or they need to hear it said a different way or whatever the case may be. I do want to say, though, about developing young players, part of the problem with that is who they've drafted. (laughs) So it's hard to develop guys that suck. So... Yeah. No, that's true. I, I feel that's like true. if they had Matt Barzal or Kyle Connor instead of Zach Seneshin, the development curve would probably look a little bit better. Some of that I don't think falls on Cassidy, but I, I do agree with you to a certain degree that he is a little bit quick with the trigger to send someone up to the ninth floor that maybe doesn't deserve it, whereas a veteran guy they'll give you know a longer leash. I understand that's probably the way it is on most teams. You know, the veteran guys are going to get the benefit of the doubt. Marshan's going to get the benefit of the doubt, you know, when he struggles like he did against the Flames. So Jack Stanik is not going to get that same benefit. If he had that same game Marshan did against the Flames, he'd be watching. It depends on who it is and, and kind of where they are in their careers, I think, a little bit. But I do agree with you that he is a little bit quick to, to yank a guy that's kind of still kind of finding his way in the league. So chapter number four, why aren't Bruins competing with the upper echelon of the league. So they've lost quite a few games. They did beat Florida the one time, but they've lost quite a few games against Edmonton, Calgary. They lost to Florida, Carolina. They've lost to some teams that are you know ahead of them in the standings and part of the upper echelon of the league. Why aren't they competing a little bit better and winning some of those games? And in some of those games, they aren't really very close. Some of those games have been pretty much not in, not in doubt for much of the game. So why do you think that's happening? I feel like there's a few factors. Uh, One, they're catching teams when other teams are playing really well. You know, they caught Florida and Carolina both when they were hot. They caught Edmonton when they're hot. They caught Calgary. Calgary, obviously, with the seven shutouts in 19 games, is playing very well. So they're catching teams when they're hot. The Bruins, with the layoff and the schedule, haven't really found their game yet. It's tough to get into a rhythm when you sit for that long. So those are all factors. I think some of the shortcomings on the Bruins roster is a factor, whether it's the goaltenders kind of still trying to find their game. Swayman's a rookie, all marks on a new team. They kind of rebuilt the defense. Forbort's new. You know, Riley was only here for half a year. Zaboral's kind of new. Clifton stinks. So there's, they have different stuff kind of going on. And then you also get Hall's not playing up to his capabilities. You know, Smith was injured. There's kind of been a shuffle of guys. So they still kind of have the Bruins kind of haven't hit their stride yet. Been playing some other teams when they've been playing really well. 
I think that's what it boils down to. I agree. I think that's true. And I think the schedule hasn't helped, obviously. And they have, I mean, in the beginning of the year, they, they played three or four undefeated teams in a row. So that, that wasn't fortuitous for them either. And, you know, the schedule has been a, an issue. And some of the players have even mentioned it. Charlie Coyle mentioned something about it. Brandon Carlos said it really sucks. You know, I mean, there's some there's been some comments about it. So it's in there. It heads at least. And they do feel it. And I think getting into the rhythm is, has been a hard thing for them to do with the schedule. They have four games coming up in a short amount of time right here against some decent teams. So we'll see, I guess, what will happen there uh, once they get into a rhythm of an every other night or an every third night kind of schedule. But I think some of those factors are true. And also the roster is a little thin and there's not a lot of depth there, which is a little scary if they do have some injury problems as we go forward. Number five, if they miss the playoffs, will the Bruins move on from Sweeney and or Neely in the front office? I feel like they should. I feel like it's time. I think Sweeney, maybe the last few years, has drafted a little bit better. But they don't seem to have a real plan. They're kind of stuck in between. They never went all in either way. I feel like this might be something that we're going to talk about in one of the later chirps. But they're stuck between a rebuild, but you still have Bergeron, and and you still kind of want to win a cup with him. Do you sell off some of the young guys that you're thinking maybe you want to keep for the future? So they're kind of in a in-between place, which I think falls on Sweeney and Neely. They didn't really have a plan. Like if you have Bergeron and you want to win a cup with Bergeron, you got to go all in to win the cup with Bergeron and figure out the rest of the shit later. Mm-hmm. Like you trade, you know, Studnika for a second line center or you trade somebody for a number one left shot defenseman your first round picks, you move some of those guys, plain and simple. Like if that's what, if that's what the goal is, if that's what you're trying to do, do it. Mm-hmm. Or if you're trying to rebuild, you have to seriously consider maybe moving on from some of the older guys. Like we were talking about, maybe they should have traded Krejci like a year or two ago. Like if you were going to go into the rebuild type of thing, trade Chara earlier than, you know, letting him walk. I mean, there were certain moves that they could have made you know, a few years ago before they kind of got into this position where now they're kind of in no man's land. Like, what do they do? Are they going to be sellers at the deadline? Are they going to go out and try to add to give Bergeron one last kick at the can? It's kind of, I mean, it might be a little too late. (laughs) I think that's true. I mean, they they didn't draft well enough to fill out the roster. So they had to go pay money, real money, to third and fourth line guys. So other teams have been able to fill those third and fourth lines who are good teams with homegrown guys who are at minimum sort of salaries or less than a million or that type of thing. So now you have to go out and pay the two million, three million for the Hollas and the Felinos and those guys when you didn't you couldn't fill those spots. So that put you in the middle. Now you have so much devotion to a Patrice Bergeron that you want to give him everything that you can give him. But then sometimes you need to make some hard choices, you know, and and sometimes it's about the organizational health and not about Patrice Bergeron and his wishes, as hard as it is to say. So if you don't draft well and you are caught in between, now you have to make a choice. Okay, now do we rebuild and we just sort of do what's best for the organization going forward? Or do we try to squeeze every little last bit out of it? So they did exactly what they said they they weren't going to do. They got caught in the middle and now they're in the middle. And now you're just a slightly above average team. Like you're a first round and out, maybe second round and out team with really no chance to win the cup because you aren't a complete team and you have inexperienced goaltending. Now it's just sort of a hodgepodge of guys. 
And I think that that's part of it, too, is that they brought in these new guys. And we've seen it with the Patriots. You bring in a bunch of new guys together. It takes time. It does for take them time. to play together. You know, and that's and that's part of it, too. So maybe this team is better as the year goes on. It could be. I, mean, I think it will be. And I think it will be. They have a good core. Yeah, they, yeah. but what, do they have enough? No, I don't think they do. I don't think they do either. They just don't have enough talent in the defense, and they, they just don't have enough scoring. Still, secondary scoring is an issue. So I'm in agreement. I think it's it might be time to move on if they do miss the playoffs. Number six, do the Bruins go to Providence for some help? There are some prospects there. Oscar Steen is one that's been bandied about a bunch. Is it time to bring him up or someone else to try to help? I mean, I like Oscar Steen's game a lot, so I wouldn't be opposed to having him crack the lineup. And if you want to give Curtis Lazar a seat for a while, that's fine. I mean, Lazar has been decent on the fourth line. He's not chipping in offensively at all. Steen might give you a little more offense there, and he'll skate and he'll hit and he'll agitate. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing a line with Noshek and Steen and Bleed together. Bleed's been pretty good the last couple of games. I mean, we've kind of knocked him around a little earlier, but he's he seems to maybe have found a little bit of a home there on the fourth line with Noshek, and and they seem to have a little bit of chemistry. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing Steen in there. Uh, Studnika, I feel like he needs to play. Just I said it before, play in Providence. You know, play in all situations. Be the top center. Be relied upon to produce and then come back next year and try to win, you know, the, the third line center job. Like there's really not a spot for him right now in the top nine. I mean, you could move Hall at a wing, I guess. Maybe they make a trade at the deadline and, you know, to add some defensive depth or more scoring and maybe he finds a spot then. But the rest of the team in Providence, I mean, man. Yeah, it's not that, much there. Yeah, I mean. And that speaks to your drafting. Yeah, it does. There's just not much there. It does. I mean, I, I yeah. feel like there's, there's some guys in college hockey that might be pretty good or in right. juniors still that are that are decent that might turn out to be something. You know, Fabian Lysel and Brett Harrison, Mason yeah, Lowry is playing, playing well yeah. at Ohio State. So they have some guys, but they aren't close. I, I feel like if you if you want to add to the team, it's going to be Steen, Studnico, or or trade. And that leads us to number seven on the trips. Is a Bruins rebuild inevitable? And I really think it could be. And if Patrice Bergeron retires, let's say at the end of this year or next year, you're without a top center. You're without a top two center too. So you have Charlie Coyle and maybe Jack Sednika. I mean, you you are really thin up the middle, which is where you know the good teams are very good. So that's not good. Uh, and you don't, like you said, you have guys who are maybe three years away who are your best prospects, which isn't any good. So I don't know if those prospects are going to get here soon enough to save Don Sweeney. I don't think they are. I don't think so. So you're going to get into this rebuild thing where the next GM comes in and says, okay, Bergeron's gone. We're not tied to him. Yeah, Marshan's still here, but you know what? He's going to have to be the good company guy and take it for a couple of years, and maybe we get a little bit better. Because teams can turn around quickly in the NHL, so maybe we can do that, but we have to bridge it until we get to this next group of the lower eyes and and, and those guys, Lysel, when they're ready to go, and then we sort of revamp it. So I think it could be inevitable. So we'll see. So that's the seven chirps, and we will come right back right after this quick timeout. Bruins fans, if you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So go ahead and download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. 
And we're back on the Bruins Benders podcast, episode five. We appreciate you listening. And it's time now for our Whipping Boy segment. And my whipping boy, Trent Frederick, is starting to make some gains to come back into the lineup, but still injured. So my replacement was Jake DeBrusque. And I thought Jake was okay against Calgary. He's actually one of the guys I noticed somewhat on the ice. But I'll tell you, (laughs) he hasn't been great for a while, and he's still not getting to the areas where he needs to really, you know, score goals. He had a chance on the breakaway, partial breakaway. It was kind of a one-on-one battle to the net. Didn't really get a great shot on, but he showed that good speed he can have straight ahead. But I thought he was okay, so I'm going to lay off him for this week and hope that this coming week he'll continue to gain a little bit of momentum there. Yeah, so my whipping boy, Connor Clifton, was scratched in both games, so I can't really rail against him. I guess that's good for him and for me. Gives me a little mental health time. Gives him a little time to recover from my slings and arrows. I think I think the organization listens to the podcast because I think they've scratched him. Scratched him specifically because of my talking, my hatred of him. So Your overall disdain. It's too bad for Connor, but I'm very happy so far with Jacob Zavoros' play, or Jakob. I will be happy to see him stick in the lineup. That yeah. would be a very good sign for the Bruins if he can uh, stay in the lineup. I'll tell you right now, Connor Clifton may not be back for a while because you have to play Riley and you have to play Forbore. You paid the money. Uh, you have Grizzly and Carlo in there and McAvoy, obviously. So if uh, Zaboro can play that right side with, uh, with Riley and do it fairly well, I don't think Clifton will be back for a while unless there's injury. So that's good for you. So now it is time for our beauties and benders portion. And Smitty, who are your beauties this week? So my number three, uh, I'm going to go with Craig Smith. He had a goal and assist against Philly. He looked like he had his jump back a little bit. I was happy to see that. They need the secondary scoring. So he's one of the guys that can provide that. So uh, I was happy to see him kind of get on the score sheet. And in a goal that seemed like typical Craig Smith, had a step, kind of blew by the guy and then roofed one, made a nice assist as well. So he was number three for me. Number two, Jakob Zaborl. Uh, In the two games this weekend, he was plus two. He had seven hits. And against Calgary, he played 20 minutes, and he was one of the few guys on the team that was actually even. So they lost 4 nothing, and he was not on the ice for any of those goals and played around 20 minutes. So I think that's a very good sign. And he also had, I mentioned, I think I mentioned that he had an assist on Pasternak's goal against Philly. Really good patience Mm -hmm. on that play. He does have some offensive instincts, which I like. He got the puck on the half wall, and he kind of skated backwards to give Pasta some time to get into the slot and then delivered a pass right on the tape, and Pasta, you know, roofed it. So Zavoral, number two. And I got to go with my boy Derek Forbort, number one. Two goals mm-hmm. against, against Philly, four goals on the season. Four goals in 14 games with the Bruins, and in like nine million games with Winnipeg and and whoever, wherever the hell else he was, he scored like three goals in his entire career. So he's right. uh, all of a sudden sniper Derek Forbord out there, you know, mm-hmm. just lighting lamps left and right. Yeah. He's my he's my number one uh, beauty. Terrific. My beauty is number three, Derek Forbord. Like you said, four goals on the season. Dennis Pop fan reincarnated. <laughs> uh, Let's hope so. Two, Fingers crossed. Number two, <laughs> so number two, Anton Bleed. And I put down in my notes, playing the right way. 
just playing the right way. Score, you know, he's not scoring, but uh, but he never does. But he is uh, getting to you know dirty areas, hitting, creating some energy, finding a home on the fourth line. Well, he did have an assist on that Nosek goal. That was a nice play. That was a nice one-handed, uh, one-handed little throw to the front of the net there. You know what? And I banged on Bleed because he's been around for eight years and hasn't done all that much. But I like him with Nosek because they both play hard. They both do the right thing. And I think they could they could come together with a pretty good fourth line there as long as Trent Frederick's nowhere near. <laughs> I was just going to uh, say, he's playing the way Trent Frederick should play. Should like play. he's hitting yeah. and he's kind of bothering people. Like he's in the goalie's mm-hmm. face. After a whistle, he'll give some guy a stick or, shove for no reason like that's what frederick should be doing frederick is fucking 6-2 you know whatever or 6-1 whatever he is or 6-3 i have no fucking idea he's a big dude he's a tall guy anton bleeds a little piece of shit but he's you know he's in people's faces and he's bothering people i feel like like you said he's playing the right way my number one beauty is jacob's moral i think he's the one bright spot lately i think he has giving the bruins and the Bruins fans some hope that there may be a left shot D guy there that can be a pretty good player for them. Hopefully it continues and his confidence level remains, but I think Zboro's been been pretty good. Here's now time for Benders and Smitty. Okay, my number three Bender is Matt Grizzlick. Face it, you're a neo-maxi Zoom dweeby. So uh, that's John Bender from the Breakfast Club, yes. by the way. In case that's we right. haven't, that's right. We haven't, yeah, uh, haven't picked up on that yet. Five haven't picked that up. Yeah. So Bender, <laughs> Bender's on Bender's right there. Grizzlick hasn't been great this weekend. He had no points and he was minus two. Mm-hmm. You're looking for a little more offensively from him. And like we said earlier in the in the show, he's been turning the puck over a decent amount. He just hasn't really been sharp. People have kind of caught up to that move where he's on the right wing boards and he kind of turns and pivots quick and gets it up. Now people are just pinning him to the boards and taking the puck. So he's got to kind of vary things a little bit, maybe. So he's my uh, number three bender. Number two bender is Taylor Hall. Face it. You're a neo maxi zoom dweeby. Taylor Hall was also no points, minus two this weekend. He needs to be much, 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 much better. If the Bruins are going to do any kind of damage, make any kind of a deep run in the playoffs, he needs to be much, much better than he's been. And uh, my number one bender is the entire Bergeron line. They combined for minus six against Calgary. They were terrible. They weren't great in the Philadelphia game. There was a stat that was talking about secondary scoring where it was like nine of the last 10 goals were scored by not that line. I mean, that's great. But you kind of like it to be, instead of nine of the last 10, you, you kind of like it to be like nine of the last 15 were scored by secondary scoring. The other six were still scored by the line that needs to score the majority of the goals. I have a feeling that they'll bounce back in the next game because you usually, kind of like Tom Brady in his heyday, usually don't see two bad games in a row from that group. So I have a feeling that that line's going to bounce back big in the next game. All right, my benders, number three, Brad Marchand. Face it. You're a neo-maxi Zoom dweeby. And as good as he's been, and as much as we deify him, I think it's it's okay to call him out when he hasn't been great. And that was a real tough night against Calgary. There's only been two games since our last episode. So one of the two, he was bad. So he's number three. He couldn't handle the puck much. just bouncing everywhere. It just didn't seem right either. He just wasn't, just wasn't playing with as much conviction as he usually does. So maybe, again, back-to-back nights after a long layoff, maybe he's the type of guy, he's been around the league a, a while, maybe he was the type of guy who that affects more. Uh, number two... Matty Grislick. Face it, you're a neo-maxi Zoom dweeby. 
Like he says, Finney, he hasn't been great. Making uncharacteristic mistakes. Turnovers that he doesn't typically make. He's usually pretty steady and heady. In the last, you know, few games, and even toward the end of last year in the playoffs, you know, just making plays that he doesn't typically make. He's usually pretty good when he's being pressured, or usually pretty good in small spaces, even for a little guy, and he hasn't been as much this year. And at number one, David Pasternak. Face it, you're a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby. Just like you said about Hall, I think he needs to be better all around. I, I don't think we've seen a, a really good start to the season from Pasternak overall. I just don't think we have. I mean, he's he's there on the power play and seems to be, you know, he'll get his one-timers from the left slot or what have you, or left circle. But for the most part, in five-on-five play, Pasternak hasn't been great. And uh, he's my bender for this past week, and I need Pasternak to go on one of those runs, maybe this week, where he scores four or five goals and really starts to get it going. All right, now time for our top seven Bruins Benders podcast power rankings in number seven entering again. They've been gone for a couple of weeks, I think, but Calgary is in first place in the Pacific, the seventh. They've been really good. Number six, Toronto moves up a spot to number six, eight, two, and zero in the last 10. Toronto's playing well as they typically do in November. Uh, number, five, number five, Anaheim, eight, one, and one in the last 10. Uh, they've been a surprise team, and Ryan Getzloff, I read a tweet earlier today. Is he, is he the most underrated player in the last 10 years? And he could be, you know, if you look across the league. He has 1,000 points now. Four is Tampa Bay, new entry, 7-1-2 and two in the last 10, starting to gain some traction. They're obviously one of the real good teams, still have a lot of talent, even though they've lost some players from last year's team. Still very good. Number three, Florida has won three in a row. Panthers had lost four in a row. So now they've seen to be getting back on track there. Number two, Edmonton Oilers, 13 and four. Still plugging away. High-powered offense with Dreisaitl and McDavid. Uh, and number one, Carolina has the most wins in the league, 14 wins, and a very good team, as we've talked about. And I know, Smitty, you like them because they're a very well-rounded team, for sure. They are. There are your rankings. Bottom three. Bottom three. All right, number 30. Seattle actually moves up a spot from 31 to 30, but they still only have 11 points. So uh, Seattle, number 30. Ottawa, number 31, is a new entry into the bottom three. We usually have Arizona in here. Kind of a battle between those two for uh, worst team in the league, I think. Uh, Except (laughs) for... The number 32, your Montreal Canadiens. Bringing up the rear because they just, they aren't very good. No. We don't like them. The point where I don't even pay attention to them. They may have won three in a row. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not not really keeping track of them other than I like to see that they lose from time to time. So, yeah, Montreal at number 32, where they will remain for the remainder of the season. Very nice. The week ahead for the Bruins, they actually have four games in about six days, which is which is great. Uh, Wednesday, the night this episode drops, they're at the Sabres. And Friday, the 26th, they'll take on the Rangers at home, who have been pretty good this year. Sunday, November 28th, versus the Canucks at TD Garden. And then Tuesday, the Red Wings come back to TD Garden on November 30. So there's four games that I think they can really go legitimately go three and one in because three of them are at home. Uh, and then the one at the Sabres without Jack Eichel, they've moved on from them. So they could win three or four of these games. They should. They should win three or four of these games. That Friday afternoon is the uh, the Thanksgiving throwdown or whatever the fuck the NHL is right. calling it now. So that's a that's a 1 p.m. matinee. Uh, the day after Thanksgiving against the Rangers. That used to be a Bruins-only thing, but then the league took it over and swiped it from them, and then they're putting the Bruins back in at this time. But uh, 
Yeah, that's usually always a tough one because it's a 1 p.m. game after Thanksgiving, a matinee. Bruins typically aren't great matinees, so that one might might be the danger one of, of those four. Yeah, I, I agree there. That's going to be a tough one. Rangers are pretty good, and they'll bring you know they'll bring a contingent of fans as well. They always uh, bring some fans to the Garden, so that should be a good one on Friday. Uh, we had a couple of Bruins Benders polls on Twitter this week. One of them was, now that the Fenway Group is purchasing the Penguins, would you like to see the Bruins make a run at acquiring Sidney Crosby? We had yes, no, and I will drive Clifton to Pennsylvania. Were the three choices? Yes was thirty eight percent. I will drive Clifton to Pennsylvania was 33%. <laughs> that was my that was vote. <laughs> that was my vote. <laughs> right? Yeah, you voted there. And then no was 29%. So it was pretty tight, but it was yes. And then uh, driving Clifton to Pennsylvania. You know what? I would drive Clifton to Pennsylvania for Sidney Crosby. Let's include Clifton in a trade for Crosby, and we can make that happen. That would be tremendous. So our second poll was, what is the Bruins' biggest need going forward? Center, scoring forward. Left shot D or Tuka Rask. Left shot D wins it at 43%, followed by Tuka Rask at 24%, if you can believe it. All the Tuka haters, all they've heard about is how they can't wait for Rask to come back now. This is crazy. It is. It really is. Center was 19%, and then scoring forward was 14%, which I found interesting because they could really use another scoring forward. You want to give me a scoring center? That would be even better. Yeah, right. Scoring center would be great. I would still rank, I think, because the defense is so important. I would still rank left shot D. Give me a legitimate number one left shot D as the top need. But a center, and preferably a scoring center, is right there. You want to call them 1A, 1B? We can do that. 1A, 1C? Sure. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think they need some more scoring, some more balanced scoring in the lineup. So that'll do it for the Bruins Benders podcast. We want to make sure that you can rate and review for charity. We're actually donating to the Bruins Foundation for each rate and review on Apple Podcasts. So if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and rate and review us. Subscribe to us. Follow us if you listen to us on Spotify and such. And uh, feel free to be interactive with us on social media. We do game updates during the games. We have different polls. So follow us at Bruins Benders as well. We appreciate everybody listening. Hope everybody has a great week. Go Bruins. Thanks a lot. Bye.